The divorce law is now approved and will be deliberated by our Congress. That's why we invited Katie Faust, child's rights advocate who wrote the book, Them Before Us. Welcome to the Jay Aruga Show! Ladies and gentlemen, child's rights advocate, one of the authors of the book, Them Before Us, Why We Need a Global Child's Rights Movement, and founder and director of Them Before Us, an organization that defends the rights of children to have both a mother and a father. Please welcome Katie Foss. Katie, how's everything? Everything's great, Jay. I'm so excited to be with you. I'm so, so, so excited to talk to your listeners. So thanks for having me. Hey, uh, how's everything in your part of the world, COVID wise? Uh, a little, a little crazy, mm-hmm. right? Uh, <clears throat> there's very few institutions where America is mm. strong right now. Um, we have been um, obviously harming the economy uh, through mm. all the lockdowns. Our military mm-hmm. is um, is disheartened because of what's going on in Afghanistan right now. Mm. Um, the schools are not teaching truth. The schools are. Um, indoctrinating kids. Um, and so mm. there's very few areas where America is strong. The good news is that um, the principles that undergird America of liberty and freedom and individual rights, um, that is, those principles are good and durable. Uh, it's mm. just a matter of whether or not we can live up to them. Okay. Thanks, Katie. For the people who might have heard about you in this podcast for the first time, Can you tell us a little something about yourself? Yes. Uh, So I uh, am a mom of Mm. four kids. Mm. Um, I just took my oldest to college. My youngest is um, a young man, growing into a young man. We Mm. adopted him from China about, Mm -hmm. um, oh my gosh, (laughs) almost 10, oh my gosh, almost (laughs) 10 years ago, which is crazy. Um, My husband's Uh a pastor. Um, so, you know, we're very involved in our church and our community. Mm. Um, I grew up, um, in the Pacific Northwest. My parents were married until I was 10 and then my parents divorced and I went Mm. through all of the things that divorced kids go through. Mm -hmm. Um, and so thankfully both my mom and my dad stayed connected to me. Mm. So I didn't lose a relationship with either one of them. My dad dated and then remarried. Mm. My mom fell in love with a woman. And they have been together for ever since then. So I, the vast majority of my life, um, I love my mom. Mm. I love her partner. Um, mm. I don't, I am not a woman with two moms. I'm a woman just like everybody else with a mom and a dad. Mm. Um, and um, who, you know, mm. then lived in two different homes mm. after my parents divorced. So um, yeah, I'm really glad that we're going to have a chance to talk about divorce mm. today Yeah, uh, because it is such a critical issue when it comes to the rights and thriving of children. Mm. And you mentioned you, you get that you, you were raised by two women as well. Uh, how did you get from being raised by lesbian couples to being mm-hmm. a child's rights advocate who, 
critique the family setup that you were yes. raised on? Yeah, well, and so, you know, thankfully, I wasn't raised by lesbians. I was raised by my mom and my dad in split homes. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right? Okay. <laughs> and so at my mom's house, Thanks you for know, clarifying her, that. Yeah. She, yeah, she and her partner lived there. Uh -huh. It was very low conflict. Like, I didn't uh, have okay. any um, animosity towards her partner or her. Mm. At my dad's house, you know, it was him and his um, girlfriend or mm. wife at the time. Um, and so... Um, how do you get here? You get yeah. here when the world tells you that moms and moms and dads don't matter. The kids don't care mm. if they have divorced parents. Kids don't care if they're raised by two moms. Kids don't care if they're raised by two dads. Kids don't care if they're raised by a single mm. mom. Mm. Um, all kids need is to be safe and loved. And, mm. you know, if you're a woman like me who not only kind of grew up understanding that there is loss um, and instability that follows the breakup of a marriage, but then also a woman who's worked with kids. Mm. I used to work at a Chinese adoption agency before I had kids. My husband and I have been doing youth ministry for decades. Mm. If you've got any exposure to children, what you learn very quickly is the loss of their mother or father is one of the deepest wounds that they're ever going to experience or mm. suffer. And in the course of human history, children have experienced mother and father loss since the beginning of time. This is a broken world. Mm -hmm. And so kids used to lose fathers or mothers through tragedy uh, mm -hmm. routinely, right? Sometimes a whole generation of children would lose their father from war. Mm -hmm. Children would often lose their mother through childbirth before the advent of modern medicine. But what is going on today mm -hmm. is the majority of children who are losing their mother or father are not losing them because of tragedy, because difficult circumstances foisted it on them. Most children today experience mother and father loss mm. intentionally because mm. some adults in their life either wanted it that way or refused to do the hard things so that mm. children's right to their own mother and father was protected. And so we have the rise of these alternative family structures that all rely on the premise that moms and dads are optional, that biology does not matter, mm. that kids don't care who's raising them, they just need to be safe and loved. And those are all lies, very damaging lies for mm. children. And so <clears throat> what I realized, you know, when I started kind of researching marriage and family issues, is that um, all of these alternative family structures, right? Mm. All the things that are being pushed in media, like two moms, two dads, polygamous homes, single mothers by choice, um, the, the promotion of divorce, right? As mm. this thing that can be not just okay for kids, but good for kids. They get two Christmases, they get two homes, right? Whatever it is. All of these alternative family structures were being normalized even mm. though every single alternative family requires children lose something that they have a right to and that is desperately needed for their healthy development. So that's where I started to get involved with this uh -huh. was in essence, putting my foot down and saying, no, mm. children have a right to their own mother and father. And the onus is on adults to conform to those rights rather than expecting children to conform to the desires of adults. And if we could do that, mm -hmm. if we could base all of our personal decisions and policy decisions on a child's right to be raised and loved by both mm -hmm. their mother and father, which ultimately means support for man-woman marriage for life, mm -hmm. I'll tell you what, we would wipe out most of the issues that we're facing here in America today. Mm. Okay. Uh we'll get to those issues because I'd like to talk about those issues 
in a bit. If we step back, I read that you, in your journey, you started this blog under a pseudonym because I'm using a pseudonym myself and I'm scared out of my wits for the backlash mm-hmm. when I make a statement that's not yeah. controversial before, but it is now. Right. But, yeah. Can you tell us uh, about uh, that yeah. part? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, if you dare to say, children need a mom and dad. Men mm. and women are different. Marriage is a is the most child-friendly institution the world has ever mm. known. If you say those things that most of society has accepted as reality and completely uncontroversial, if you say that in America today, mm. they will call you a bigot, right? A bigot yeah. is somebody that yeah. hates other people and treats them intolerantly simply based on who they are, right? Um, And so that was the smear that was used against anybody that supported traditional marriage. It didn't matter if you loved gay people. It didn't matter Uh that you had compelling secular arguments based in social science um, for Mm. your views. None of that mattered, right? Mm. If you did not agree with their political position, you were a bigot. And there Mm. was no escaping that. So once I realized that that was the game that they were playing, (laughs) right? I started a blog, an anonymous blog called Ask the Bigot. I'm like, oh, I see. (laughs) If all it takes to be a bigot is to not support gay marriage, Uh it doesn't matter that I love my mom, I love her partner, Uh um, you know, that I've been working with kids, that Uh I see the pain that they experience when they lose their Uh mom or dad, that gay marriage is normalizing mother and father loss, um, that these reproductive technologies Mm. today is incentivizing and creating mother and fatherless children, right? It doesn't Mm. matter any of that. Mm. If I don't agree with your ever-changing progressive goalposts, I'm a bigot. Mm. So I started a blog called Ask the Bigot. Mm. Like, come ask me all your questions because it's all (laughs) the same questions, right? Yes. And my goal was to provide the most compelling non-religious arguments, but also the most gracious and the most loving Uh um, argument that you could find. So I routinely Uh on that blog exhorted my Christian followers to not just be friends with gay people, but to initiate relationship and to be the best friends that um, anybody who disagrees with us, gay, uh, or maybe somebody who's experienced a divorce um, or somebody who identifies as transgender. Like Mm. I think that Christians should be the most loving, um, like, the most sacrificial yes, yes. in the lives of, of their friends. So that's what I set out to do in that blog was to debunk mm-hmm. um, these arguments, you know, about marriage and family, but then also to exhort Christians to be radical lovers of people yeah. who disagree. Yes. Yeah. Because Jesus told us to love your enemies and between loving your enemies yeah. and friends, there's really no room for hate. Really, That's right. That's right. And it's hard because many Christians have a hard time figuring out, um, well, if I, if I'm going to love them, that means that I can't challenge or oppose anything they think or do. Yes. Well, that's wrong, right? Mm -hmm. We have to hold on to the truth in one hand. We have to hold on to the preciousness of our gay and lesbian friends in the other hand. Mm -hmm. And biblically, we have to do both with all our might. Mm -hmm. The world tells you, you can only do one or the other. You can either hold on to truth or you can love people who disagree. The mm. Bible says, nope, you better no. do both. Yes. <laughs> and by the power of my spirit, you better do both with excellence. Mm. How how real is the cancel culture mob? Has your book been pulled out the shelves in some bookstores or was there a threat of it? <laughs> not yet, but it probably has not 
quite been widely circulated enough yet. Oh, prepare um, for that. Once, yeah, prepare for that. But I will say that um, if somebody actually reads the book, mm-hmm. um, obviously the accusation is, well, if I'm against gay marriage, that means I'm anti-gay. But if you read the book, I spend a lot of time critiquing st- straight people Mm. or heterosexual couples who are employing technologies or who are promoting divorce um, in ways that deny children a right, their right to their own mother and father. We in America are not in the dismal situation that we're in, in Mm. terms of marriage and family right now, because of the gays. Mm. We are here because heterosexual couples um, and heterosexual people wanted to prioritize their own desires above the well-being of children. And that started back in the 60s Mm. with sperm donation and no-fault divorce, right? Mm. That's where it began, not with same-sex couples who were trying to redefine family. The redefinition of family legally began with no-fault divorce and technologically began with heterosexual couples using sperm donors. Mm. Okay, let's talk about the book. All I can say about the book is it's a fun read you and your co-author Stacy Manning inserted enough wittiness that made the book an interesting read and at the same time it's full of facts and important statistics in the debate as well as a dash of emotions from the testimony of people raised by the quote-unquote modern family so it Mm -hmm. seems like having the balance of facts and emotion simulates like the father and the mother of a child's life while reading the book did you intend this or it just happened to be? I'm so grateful that the book turned out uh, the way it did. Uh-huh. And you're exactly right that um, nobody would have read it all the way through. Um, nobody would even got through a chapter without Stacy because she mm. makes it so interesting to read. Um, but you will not be able to hold on to any of your modern family fantasies by the time you're done with it. Mm. We um, bring the highest level research and the stories that are very expensive to tell in the book. We find, we have found stories and published stories and shared stories of children from all different forms of modern family, whether it's children of divorce, children with same-sex parents, children created through sperm donation or egg donation or surrogacy. We talk about adoption too, and the pain of adoption, even though adoption can be incredibly redemptive, it still begins with loss for children, and we should never minimize or be casual about that loss. Um, And so you will not be able to walk away after you read the 130 stories of kids raised in these modern families, after reading the mountains of research Mm. um, that goes along with the importance of mother and father and marriage in a child's life. The only way you could continue to hold on to this modern family fantasy is if you have no contact with reality at all. We answer every objection, right? We've been doing this for 10 years now. Mm. We've heard all of the um, counter arguments and there are credible, reliable, satisfying answers for all of them. Um, And so it really is the manual that you need anytime you're confronting any argument when it comes to marriage and family. This is the airtight case. And The thing is, I don't know how it is there in the Philippines, but Mm. um, in America, we look at all these issues as disconnected, right? There's been a big push, for example, for two moms to be on a child's birth certificate. 
And now we've got, you know, obviously the gay marriage debate was raging in 2014, 2015. Now the push is for polygamy, right? Multiple oh, mm. groups of people raising I, children together. Yeah, I, I heard polyamory. Um, yeah. Sorry. Yes. Well, yeah. Polygamy is so, you know, 1900s. <laughs> Polyamory is so 2021, right? There's just no boundaries when it comes to that. But like group love, group families, um, cohabitation, like all of these different issues, they're actually not disconnected. And sometimes we think about them as, you know, do, do lesbians and gays have a right to adopt, right? And we look at those as if they're not connected. But the reality is every question about marriage and family ultimately is the same question. Mm. And that is, are you going to respect children's right to be known and loved by their mother and father? Or are you going to disregard children's right mm. to be known and loved by their mother and father? And what we explain in the book is, if you can defend children's rights to their own mother and father, all these other questions solve themselves. Birth certificates, mm. polygamy, cohabitation, no-fault divorce, same-sex parents, reproductive technologies, who has a right to adopt. All of those questions are answered mm. if you respect the rights of children. So ultimately, this is not multiple conversations. It is one conversation. Mm. And that makes it pretty easy for people who can sometimes be blindsided by all of the news um, and like you know, whatever the New York Times is promoting in terms of consensual non-monogamy or whatever it is, <laughs> right? It gives you the lens through which to view mm -hmm. any trending news or any public policy proposal. Let me tell you uh, where we are in the Philippines. The Philippines is the last country, aside from the Vatican, that doesn't have a divorce law. Although we have legal separation and annulment for the extreme cases such as when the spouse or children are in grave danger. Mm -hmm. Recently, an absolute divorce bill was approved for deliberation by our Congress, and the debate on the social media began. We also don't have same-sex marriage. But for most of the countries, divorce sets the precedent for mm -hmm. same-sex marriage because once you redefine marriage for it not to be permanent, there's no reason right. why you can redefine it further. So, yeah, let's get right down to it. Let's begin, Katie. Do, do children have rights to their yeah. mom and dad? Yeah. So, you know what? You nailed it, um, Jay, because um, we talk in the book about how no-fault divorce was the original redefinition mm. of marriage. So, historically... Marriage has been the most child-friendly institution the world has ever known because it unites the two people to whom they have a natural right, their mother mm. and father, for life. Now, once you pull out that for life, what mm. you're really saying is marriage doesn't exist for kids. It exists to make adults happy. And so if the adults cease to be happy, then the marriage should cease to exist. Well, so that's what no-fault divorce communicates. Mm. So... If you take that principle and you say, well, what makes me happy in a marriage is being married to another woman or being married to another man, right? No-fault divorce was the first thing that said, mm. this institution is not about kids. It's about adult fulfillment. And so then you take that into the gay marriage debate and you mm. say, well, oh, okay, I'll tell you what I want to be fulfilled. It's a same-sex marriage. And now take beyond that. Well, I know what I need to be fulfilled. Mm. It's a marriage of five different people to one another. 
right? Well, I know what I need to be fulfilled. Mm. It's consensual non-monogamy, right? Where I can have different partners coming in and out all the time. Now, all of those share something in common. And that is that for the adults to be happy, the children have to lose their rights. Mm. And so you're exactly right. They, they have to lose their right to be loved by their mother and father every day of their life. Mm. Um, and then we also spend some time in the book talking about um, the importance of biology, right? So let's get back to your question. First of all, children yeah. have rights, okay. right? The Philippines has signed on to the UN Convention on the Rights of the Child, which yes. outlines in about seven different articles that children have a right to be known and loved by both parents, that they shouldn't mm -hmm. be separated from either parent, that if for some reason they're in a terrible situation where they have to be, it better be because it's in the best interest of the child. Okay. And even then, they have a right to be connected to both of their parents mm -hmm. and reunited swiftly mm -hmm. with their parents. I mean, like the UN Convention on the Rights of the Child that your country has already agreed to mm -hmm. completely acknowledges children have this right. Okay. And why is that? Why is this right so powerful? For a few reasons. One is that it gifts children with the adults, the two adults who statistically mm -hmm. are the most connected to them, protective of them, and invested in them. Right? Mm -hmm. So there are negligent, abusive biological parents, right? Those adults exist mm. and children need to be protected in those very uh, rare cases. But statistically, a child's own mother and father are the most protective of them, the mm. most reliable adults, the ones that are least likely to abuse and neglect them. And so what we've done kind of in our modern mentality is said, mm. well, kids don't need their own mom and dad. Biology doesn't matter. They just need to be safe and loved. Mm. The problem is that anytime you've got another adult to enter the picture, whether it's stepmom or mother's boyfriend or an unrelated adult living in the home in a polygamy situation, for example, risks to children skyrocket. The presence of an unrelated cohabiting adult drastically increases the risk that children will be abused and neglected. Mm. So for the people that say kids don't need moms and dads, they just need to be safe and loved. Mm. I say, well, congratulations. <laughs> you are one of us because mm. we know categorically what it takes for kids to be safe and loved. And that is to be raised in the home of their own married mother and father. This is irrefutable. This is the data and it's common sense, mm. right? And it's validated by the stories of kids who grew up without that and suffered as a result. So children have rights, right? I think most of us Christians understand that when we're talking about a child's right to life. Well, children have rights on this mm. side of the womb as well. And that primary right is to their own mother and father to be known and mm. loved by the two people responsible for their existence. So children have rights and we need to take that into all other matters of marriage and family. Mm. Yeah, I'll I'll tell you about the Philippines. We have this legal separation, and that's for the extreme cases when some some kids are abused. But it doesn't severe the marriage bonds. It gives mm -hmm. hope for the reunification of the mom and dad. And the advocates of uh, divorce, it seems like they only want divorce to to be able to get back to the dating scene. Mm -hmm. So it's really not in the interest of the children or the abused spouse. So I, I can't think of any reason why they would want 
divorce on top of that. Right. Well, and they want divorce because adult desire is the ultimate good. Mm. Right? Yes, yes. Their primary objective is adult emotional fulfillment. Mm. Um, now, divorce wreaks havoc in a child's life. Mm. Um, it is in America, we call it an ACE, an adverse childhood experience. It is oh, a primary okay. trauma, uh -huh. right? That often leads to other traumas. So in the book, we talk a lot about how there's three staples of a child's social emotional diet, okay. three things that they need to be nourished on, mm. like daily, daily doses of these three things. Mm. And children obviously need a lot, right? They need education. They need friends. They need, um, you know, some um, healthy training and, and mentoring when it comes to like relating to adults or whatever it is. Mm. But if you do not have these three things, none of those other things are going to matter, right? Mm. And those three staples of a child's social emotional diet are mother's love, uh -huh. father's love, and stability. Mm. So what divorce does now, and I agree with your system that you do need an exit strategy for extreme cases of abuse, mm. right? It is very important for mm. husbands or wives and children who are in danger because mm. of one of their parents to be able to exit that situation either temporarily or permanently. And most importantly, it's important that the community and the courts side with the innocent spouse. They need to be prioritized when it comes to custody, when mm. it comes to the house and things like that. No-fault divorce does not allow that to happen. No-fault mm. divorce says it doesn't matter whether dad ran off with the secretary, right? Mm. Or mom just decided that she wanted out one day um, and she's going to go shack up with somebody else. The courts cannot favor the spouse that's trying to make it work and committed to the marriage. That's what no-fault do mm. does is it gives power to the spouse that wants the marriage the least. And it punishes the spouse who's trying to be faithful to their marriage vows, right? Mm. But what happens after the divorce? You look at those three staples of a child's social emotional diet. And the first thing to go is typically, you know, father's love, uh. right? In America, usually the child will end up being raised by the mother primarily and only see dad on the weekends. But after two years, in America, mm. close to 50% of kids stop seeing their father altogether. It's very hard to remain connected to the parent you're not living with. Mm. So let's say the parents have a perfect split, right? Uh. Where they have a perfect custody agreement, 50-50. Kids are still being starved of 50% of mom's love or 50% of dad's love every day. They're still not getting what they need. They deserve mm. crave and benefit from 100% of mom and 100% of dad every day. Now, here's the big, the next big problem with divorce oh. is it rips stability out from a child's life. Mm. If you go to our website or if you read the book, mm. what you're going to find is divorce is not a one-time event for kids. It is the first event that triggers multiple losses, transitions, and additions, and turmoil in a child's life. It's not just mom and dad split, move into a home next door, and that's how things stay. It's mom and dad split. Mom has her boyfriend move in with them. That boyfriend has two kids that come in. Mm -hmm. So now their whole household has changed. Dad has to move to another state to take a different job. And mm -hmm. so now they're only seeing dad during the summer. Then mom and boyfriend, they break up. Right. Mm -hmm. But mom got pregnant. And so now they've got a sibling that's joining the home. Then dad marries another woman. She's got three kids, too. So the summers that they go visit <laughs> dad, they're now visiting dad and three siblings that 
siblings, uh, right? That they <laughs> don't know and yeah. they've never met. Yeah, that they only see three months out of the year, right? Uh, and then they come home and mom has now remarried somebody else. And so that's typically how it goes, right? You think that things are going to end when your divorce takes place and now that's going to be the new life. Not for the kids. For uh -huh. the kids, it's going to be nonstop transition and turmoil. And that instability has devastating effects on the life of a child. And if you don't believe me, you can read the book. You can mm. read our stories. You can talk to, if you dare, mm. any kids whose parents have gone through divorce and say, did you love it? How's that going for you? How are those two Christmases? Do they make up for the fact that you only see your father once a month? Mm. And the answer is no right? Mm -hmm. Most of the time, divorce plunges children into instability and turmoil, and it has long-lasting effects on their physical health, mental health, emotional health, relational health, academic health. Mm -hmm. um, there's no area of a child's life that improves post-divorce, with the exception of those high, high-conflict, violent marriages where it does offer an escape. Mm -hmm. But even in those situations, um, you know, it's trading one less, very, very bad situation for another less than ideal situation. So there's no way to spin divorce where it's a child-friendly um, process. It's always going to harm the children first. Mm. And you mentioned the nutrients. Why does it have to be the biological parents to fulfill them? Can it be a step-parent, a cohabiting boyfriend or girlfriend? What are the advantages of the biological parents over any other adult taking the role yeah. of the parent? So first of all, we're going to say that um, adoption is part of this conversation because adopted yes, yes. children are raised by non-biological adults. So yeah. I'm going to set that aside for just a second. Okay, we'll talk about let's that talk, later. Yeah, yeah. Adoption, let's yeah. talk about biology first. Okay. okay, so we mentioned that defending a child's right to their own mother and father benefits children primarily in three ways. The mm. first one we already talked about, mm. it grants children the adults who are the most protective of, invested in, um, and connected to them, right? Mm. Kids tend to not feel as connected to their step-parent or their mother's boyfriend. Mm. Um, children are mm. not, uh, step-parents, somebody's live-in girlfriend or boyfriend are much less likely to invest in a child's college fund, for uh, example. Okay. Okay. Right. Uh -huh. And then, yes, yes. Yeah. And then finally, statistically, the person most likely to abuse a child is mom's cohabiting boyfriend or a stepfather. Mm. And thank God, most stepfathers or boyfriends or girlfriends are not abusive. But if your audience wants to just fact check me, mm. they can pause this podcast and Google the words mother's boyfriend. Mm. Pause it, Google mother's boyfriend, and come back and tell me what you see. Mm. What you're going to see is page after page after page of results of children suffering horrible homicide and abuse and neglect at the hands of mother's boyfriend. That there is something about um, that non-related adult that does not see that child as their own child, but rather sees that child often as a competitor or a threat to mm -hmm. their romantic intentions towards that child's parent. And so... Biology matters because it gives kids the most protective, connected, and invested adults. Number two, it always automatically grants the perfect gender balance. Mm. Kids actually crave the love of a man and the love of a woman. Mm. And we see children who grow up fatherless, little girls, for example, who grow up without a dad, are much more likely to become pregnant as teens. Why? Because they are made for male love. And if they don't get it from their dad, they'll mm. get it. 
They just won't get it from a man that is protective of them the way their father would have been. Boys who grow up without a dad, they will find that male love they are looking for. Um, we know that people who identify as gay oftentimes had an unhealthy or disrupted or absent relationship with their father. And those uh -huh. little boys will find a way to get the male love that they need, sometimes mm -hmm. from an older man in a sexual relationship. Sometimes they'll get it in the form of a gang mm -hmm. where they've got an older mentor on the street who finally is being the father figure that they need. Hopefully in both of those situations, if dad is unavailable or simply a risk to the child, mom will find a coach or a mentor or a grandfather who can give the child some of that fatherly love they crave. But rarely would a child say, oh yeah, that was enough. That filled my hole completely, mm. right? So biology matters because it gives kids the safest, most connected adults. It grants them the perfect gender balance in their home every time. Mm. And then third, biology matters. And this is where we can talk a little bit about adoption. Okay. Biology matters because it gives children something that no other adult can give them. And that is biological identity. Mm. So every kid is asking the question, mm. who am I? Mm. Where do I belong? Right. That is the big question, especially in adolescence. Who am I? And the world is happy to tell kids who they are. Right. Um, the world will give our kids an identity. Um, mm. But the truth is that most kids are going to answer that question, at least partially by well, I'm Chinese, or well, I'm Italian, or well, you know, I'm, I'm part of the um, Castillo family, and we do mm. big holiday get togethers or whatever. Most kids want some kind of or answer that question partially or fully based on their biological connections, mm. right? I am, who am I? I am the son of my father. Um, or who am I? Well, um, you know, I am the daughter of my mother. Mm. And we know that this matters to kids because there are waves and waves and waves of children who were adopted and children created through sperm and egg donation who are scouring the internet, trying to find their biological parents. Mm. Many of these kids are raised by loving heterosexual yep. couples, right? You know, many of them are like my son with a mom and a dad who love him, who say, you are ours forever. You belong with us. We're so grateful to have you in our family. But I cannot fully compensate for everything that my son has lost. I can't mm. give him the biological identity that he craves. It is difficult for him to be the only person in our family who does not have the same facial features, who does not have the same genetic heritage can share in the same mm. family stories mm. whose birth story is different you know he doesn't have the birth story of me running to the hospital trying to get there on time um he does have questions about mm. his his first family about his biological parents what do they look like um will he ever get to meet them um and so biological identity is something that matters to children sometimes when they're in the home, whether they're adopted or created through sperm and egg donation, or even in a divorce situation, many kids are pretty quiet about it while they're still in the home. Because if they were to express, who's my father? Or who's my real mother? Or where is she? Or why did my dad leave? Um, sometimes they're talking to the adult who could be very threatened by those questions. Mm. So a lot of times, 
those questions about biological identity tend to emerge later in life, in their late 20s, or when they start having a family of their own. But biological identity absolutely matters to children. Um, there's a psychological, there's a something psychologists observed in children called genealogical bewilderment. They're bewildered, they're wondering about their genetic identity, and it can cause a lot of distress in children to not be able to see their own um, features reflected in their parents. So um, biology matters, it matters to kids, it matters to their safety, to their well-being, to their identity, and to their healthy development and flourishing. Yes, I love that quote in the book when you said, uh, when a child lost a parent in a tragedy, the yeah. world mourns with them. Mm -hmm. But when a child lost a parent to divorce, the child mourns alone and they, and they don't have anyone to talk to. Right. And that's how it is, right? Anytime a child loses a parent intentionally, mm -hmm. whether it's a no-fault divorce situation, whether they were created through reproductive technologies, whether they have two moms or two dads, um, sometimes even adopted kids. Um, you know, if a child says, I'm, I wish I had a dad, or mm -hmm. I'd like to know who my real mom is, the world says, shut up, you should just be grateful. Mm. Right. <laughs> but, you know, a child who loses a parent through tragedy, they can be really honest about that. Mm. They can mourn. You know, my husband's mother died suddenly when he was 16 and mm. everybody surrounded him. Everybody empathized. Everybody understood. But if he talked about the pain he experienced from his parents' divorce, mm. a lot of times the messages he'd hear is, are you kidding me? Like, you get to travel anywhere you want because your stepdad's so rich or whatever it was, right? And so the response was very different, right? Mm -hmm. When adults choose this life of brokenness for kids, oftentimes the kid just has to shut up mm -hmm. and accommodate and understand and be compassionate to the parents. Mm -hmm. Whereas when a parent is lost to tragedy, everybody mourns and bends with the child. So it's two very, very different phenomenons when it comes to child loss. One argument of a lawmaker of ours, it goes like this. So hear me out. Premise one, all the countries in the world except us and the Vatican have divorce. Premise two, it is hard to believe that all these countries collectively made an error. So conclusion, we should have divorce in our country too. <laughs> I would like to ask you, does having yeah. a divorce law really did make society better? Or what are the negative impact of yeah. divorce in, in the country, in the society? What are the stats? All of the countries have made a mistake. He's <laughs> wrong. You guys are right. Mm, we are wrong. Mm. Okay. Um, and again, I agree that the model of um, divorce when somebody is at fault because of abuse, mm. abandonment, adultery, um, mm. it is important when one spouse or the children or both are at risk, mm. they need to be able to get out. And the courts need to be able to prioritize and side with the innocent spouse, the spouse that is failing to live up to their marital obligations or mm. inflicting the abuse or addicted and abandoning his family. Mm. The courts need to be able to punish 
bad behavior okay. um, and yeah. reward the faithful spouse and the protective parent, right? Mm. Passing a divorce law means that there's no incentive to be faithful. There's no incentive to live up to the high ideals of your marriage commitment. Mm. It is going to be a massive, um, first of all, like we've studied the impact of no-fault divorce laws in general, and it lowers marital commitment. It lowers Mm. marital rates. You would think that um, being able to get out of divorce easily would mean people would be more free to get into it. It's the opposite, right? People are like, okay, they can leave me no matter what. Well, then why should I even get married, right? So that's one reason why cohabitation rates have skyrocketed. Unfortunately, cohabitation is one of the most unstable family structures there is. It tends to last about 18 months. Children are much more likely to see their parents break up in a cohabiting relationship than a married relationship. So marriage is not perfect. There's always going to be times where one or both parents do not live up to their marital vows. And there does need to be an exit strategy, um, an illegal pathway for them to get away. But if you think no-fault divorce is going to help your society and your children, you are fools. You are quite frankly fools. Mm -hmm. And don't think that it stops at divorce. Divorce is the first stop of this train of family redefinition. And as far as I can tell, there's no end point. Okay, Katie, uh, we are almost at the end of the episode. I will now ask the $1 million question. Should we stay in an unhappy marriage or divorce and be happy? Because the the kids will want to see their parents happy anyway. They'll be happy if the parents are happy. Mm -hmm. We know what it takes for kids to be happy. Mm. Um, And that is for mom and dad to love each other and for mom and dad to love their children. And you can look at the stories of kids and you can look at decades of research to validate that claim. We make it quite extensively um, in chapter five of our book. So Mm -hmm. if you are really wanting to investigate this, just read that chapter and we will tell you everything you need to know. A lot of times people say to me, Katie, do you want me to stay in an unhappy marriage or get divorced and be happy? And I say, there's more than two options. The other option is you can stay in your marriage and make it happy. Mm. And that statistically is oftentimes the case. Number one, about 50% of people who divorce are no happier after they are divorced. Mm. And then we've got several studies that show unhappy couples who persist and work it out are much happier five and 10 years later. So one marriage expert said, contrary to popular, popular opinion, staying in an unhappy marriage may be the best thing you ever do. And finally, I'll wrap up and say, if you think that you're going to escape an unhappy marriage and that everything's going to be just fine, um, that might be the case. You might, you're one of, you may be one of the 50% of people who are happier after the divorce. Your children will not be. What you, in essence, are doing, unless it's a case of abuse or extreme abandonment, unless it's someone's at fault, if you're talking about the 70% of divorces in the United States that are not due to abuse, abandonment, neglect, okay? Most, uh, most divorces in America take place just because they've fallen out of love or they are struggling with money or they don't know how to communicate or whatever it is. It's not one of the at-fault reasons, okay? So if you're one of those 70% and you're saying, 
I, I want a divorce because I'm unhappy. If I get a divorce, I'll be happy. Or this marriage is too hard. Or I'm frustrated. Or he doesn't appreciate me. Or she doesn't respect me. Or whatever it is, okay? Let me be very clear what you are saying. You're saying to your children, oh, this cross is too heavy for me. Here, kids, you take it instead. <laughs> That's what no-fault divorce is. What you're saying is, I don't want to do the hard work of fixing this marriage. So kids, I'm going to give you a lifetime of hard work to deal with because I refuse to do the hard thing. And that is at bottom what all of these questions are. Somebody has to do the hard thing. Is it going to be the adults or is it going to be the innocent ones in the relationship, the kids? And at them before us, we think adults should do hard things so the rights of children are protected. And when it comes to divorce, that means in nearly every case, staying and working it out rather than seeking an escape. Thanks, Katie. Those are very powerful messages that you gave us. And we're only scratching the the surface on this conversation because we just talk about divorce. We haven't talked about uh, same-sex marriage yet and uh, donor-conceived uh, uh, mm-hmm. pregnancies, surrogacy. Uh, I hope I can invite you again someday <laughs> to discuss more about this. Uh, thank you for responding to my invite. Yeah. Uh, please let the audience know where to find your work and how can we follow you on social media? Yeah, um, we're at thembeforeus.com. If you go to the bottom, you can subscribe to get all of our newsletters. Um, And that's a great way to stay in touch. If there's somebody there who is fighting against the push for divorce and they would like some help, Mm -hmm. um, some statistics or some stories to present to your policymakers, reach out to me. Um, you can go to that form at the bottom and um, should be able to enter a comment, send us a question. Um, but you guys need to fight back against this. Yeah. Like I said, um, you can either stop it here um, or you'll just end up having to fight every other marriage and family battle that is going to be coming your way shortly. Um, I'm on Twitter at advo, A-D-V-O underscore K-A-T-Y, kind of like advocate, but uh-huh. advocating. Okay? <laughs> That's how that works. Um, I've got a Facebook page too. We've got a Them Before Us Facebook page. We have a mm-hmm. Them Before Us Instagram. So there's several places that you can find us. Um, but stand firm, right? You guys need to stand firm. You are right. Um, marriage should be permanent. Um, and when it's not, it's children who suffer. Mm-hmm. Thanks again, Katie. You're a blessing to the listeners. Grab a copy of Katie's book, Them Before Us. It's not a boring read, I can say. This has been another episode of the J. Arugas Show. At the end of the day, it will be night. Goodbye. Goodbye.